We're starting here at the bottom of Kuf Yudayim Bet, three lines from the bottom of the two dots. Tarabanan, Kamasudot, Chayavadam Lechol Bishabbat. How many meals must a person consume over Shabbat? Shalosh, of Chidcha Amar, Arba. Chidcha says that you have to eat four. Amr Rabbi Yochanan, they both learned it from the same Pasuk, which is, Vayom HaMoshe, Echlu Ayom, Ki Shabbat Ayom Lashem, Hayom Lom Timtsehu Basadeh. So the word Hayom appears three times in the Pasuk. Rabbi Chidcha Savar Hani Tlata, Hayom Tavar Miurta. Three times that you eat a meal during the day, excluding the nighttime meal. But in Savar Behadeh Deurta, Hayom means the day in the broader sense of day, not daytime, but the whole day, the 24 hours. And that's the three meals that we have for Shabbat. It's none. Now, Flad Bleika Belele Shabbat, Har Mishnah, that you have a fire on Friday night, Matzilin Gimel Sudot. You save three meals. My love, the lachal. What's the situation that he hasn't eaten yet? And therefore, three meals would support the position of the chachamim. Lo, dachal. He already ate a meal, and therefore, it could also support the position of Rabbi Chidba that you're saving three meals besides the nighttime meal. Shacharit, matzili, and mazon, shtei seudot. In the morning, you save two seudot. My love, the lachal. He hasn't eaten yet in the morning. And therefore, again, it would support the position of Chachamim, Lo, Dachal, that he did eat the meal, and therefore it could even be like Rabbi Chidka. In the afternoon, you save one Suda. My love, Delo Achal, again, case where he hasn't eaten yet, and therefore it would be the final meal, the third meal. Lo, Dachal, even though he had eaten a meal already, that's his fourth meal, and that could even support the position of Rabbi Chidka. Baha, Migdutani, Seifa, the latter half of the Mishnah says, Rabbi Yossi Omer, Lola, Matzilin, Mazon, Gimel, Sudot, that you always save three sudot. Michlau, the Tanagama, Gimel, Sverile. The Rabbi Yossi is not coming to argue on the number because there's no discussion about the number of sudot. The only question between Rabbi Yossi and the Tanakama is that the Tanakama says you can only save the remaining meals, the meals that you haven't eaten yet. Whereas Rabbi Yossi says you can always save three sudot. But they're not arguing about is the number of sudot that you eat. Michlau, the Tanakama, Gimel, Sverile. From that, it sounds like the Tanakhamu thinks you only have to eat three meals. It's clear our Mishnah does not follow the position of Rabbi Chidka, but rather the position of the Chachamim, the Tanakhamu, that we saw, who believe on Shabbat that you have three meals. There is one important factor that comes out of this. Tosafot already mentions it over here, brought up by the Rambam as well, which is Mikan Mashmo. What time should you eat Sudash Lishit on Shabbat? He mina mincha odamalo. That is in the afternoon. The low the otam shokolkim sudat shacharit umivarchim bentayim. Not like those that break up their morning meal into two and they bench in between to make it that they have three meals on Shabbat. They stop in the middle of their meal, they bench, and then they wash again and start again. Now there are a number of problems with that, including what Tosafot raises here of a problem of bracha sheina tzricha. It's a problem that we face when Erev Pesach falls out on Shabbat and you need to eat all your meals in the morning. This is exactly the issue that comes up in terms of Sudash Lishit. Here, Tosvot says that the most appropriate time to eat Shudas or Sudash Lishit is in the afternoon. That's the way it's phrased here. In the Rambam, it's more explicit in his Seder Ayom for Shabbat that one must first daven mincha and then only after davening mincha does one eat Sudash Lishit. The Ramah brings down both opinions in terms of when you can eat Sudash Lishit, but it seems like the most appropriate time to eat Sudash Lishit is, first of all, in the afternoon, for sure, Zman HaMincha, and more appropriate even after Tfilat HaMincha, that one should have Mincha first, and then have Sudash Lishit. Obviously, if there are mitigating factors and there are the reasons, then there are opportunities where you could eat it before Mincha, if that's the only time that you can eat it. But preferable is to eat it in the afternoon, and again, after Mincha time. 
based on our Mishnah here, but Tosafot points out that Mishnah seems to indicate that the time for the third meal is in the Mincha, in the afternoon time. So that's one issue with regards to Sudash Lishit. The other thing is, why do people call it uh, Shalosh Sudot? Why do they call it Shaloshudas? Why isn't it just called Sudash Lishit, the third meal? Because on a regular weekday, a person would eat two meals. Sudash Lishit, the third meal that one has on Shabbat, is Mareh. It shows that the other meals that a person ate on Shabbat weren't just regular weekday meals, but they were meals the Kavra Shabbat. So, in a sense, incorporated in the third meal that you eat in Shabbat is all three meals. Because it gives meaning or reflects back on the other two meals that you ate on Shabbat. And that's why the expression Shalashudas came about, meaning that it's all three meals. Because it's Marem Akom on the other two meals that they were done in the Kvodah Shabbat. Now in terms of Sudesh Lishit itself, what one is required to eat at Sudesh Lishit? We already started a little bit with it yesterday. But you have in terms of what you have to eat at Sudesh Lishit. You have the Rambam, who says that you have to have Sudash Lishit ala Yayin, like you do by the meal in the morning. That's to be done with Yayin Bori Priya Gofen, and you eat Sudash Lishit. On the other hand, most others, most other Rishonim and Puskim, believe that you do not have to have it ala Yayin. Now, what the Rambam is saying is not that there's a Kiddush, just like the morning, it's not Kiddush. The purpose of the Yayin is to designate it as a special meal. It gives significance to the meal beyond just being a meal. It gives it a framework. And that's what the Bori Priyagafen or the wine is. And that's what the Rambam says. You need wine for a Sudash Lishit. After that, we have the opinions which we saw yesterday, which by Sudash Lishit you require Lechem Mishneh. Now we saw yesterday in the Machloket between the Poskim, some who believe the Abu Dramah quotes a Rosh that says that you have to have for every meal on Shabbat, you have to have Lechem Mishneh versus... Others, like maybe Mishita Drashi, and others who believe by the time we get to Sudash Lishit, the Kobol quotes it in the name of the Midrash. You only need to have one Lechem by that time, based on the fact that if you started out on Friday morning with four Kikarot, based on the month that you got, you'd only have one left by the time you got to Sudash Lishit, and therefore it would not require Lechem Mishneh. Yet, even according to those opinions, you still require Lechem for Sudash Lishit. Beyond that, you have other Rishonim who start to bring that may not even require Lechem for Sudash Lishit, Mizonot might be enough, until you get to the point that some say that you only need Minei Targima, that you only need Perot or fruits. So you have Miktzeh say in terms of Sudash Lishit from having it Alayayin with Lechem Mishneh, all the way down to having it just with Perot being enough for Sudash Lishit. Again, the Lochah is brought down that the best way to do it is with Lechem Mishneh. If you don't, to do it ala Lechem, at least the Kikar Shalem, or if not, ala Lechem Prusa. If you don't do that, then Mizonot. If you don't do that, then Minei Targima. In that there is a hierarchy of preference to what you do in terms of Sudash Lishit. The big difference will be that if one washes for Sudash Lishit and has Lechem at the meal, one can extend the meal beyond Shkiah. You can continue eating past Shkiah if you started the meal on Shabbat. Continue the meal because it's part and parcel of the meal. It gives it a framework for Lechem, makes it into a Sudah Kvuah, and that's fine. On the other hand, if you don't wash and you don't have Lechem for Sudash Lishit, then you would still be cut off by Shkiah. If you're drinking or just having Minei Perot, you can't go over Shkiah because you don't have a Kviyat Sudah, which will allow you to go through that threshold of Shkiah. You would have to stop at Shkia. There are many of the poskim who bring down the dispensation to start Suudash Lishit even after Shkia in the period of time that is known as Benash Mashot. In Chutzlar, it's a lot easier to call Benash Mashot. A lot of the poskim will allow up to 13 and a half minutes 
basically the Benish Mashot of the Gra in Eretz Yisrael, many of the Poskim are much more reluctant because they think the Benish Mashot is much shorter based on the fact that people are ending Shabbat at a much earlier time, then it would be hard to argue that the Benish Mashot is so extensive, therefore they only give a minute or two after Shkiat to start Sudash Lishit, and that is an extensive amount of time. Right? That's with regards to Sudash Lishit. Obviously it only applies to Shabbat does not apply to Yom Tov, as opposed to Lecha Mishneh, where there's a question amongst Poskim, whether it also applies to Yom Tov. Here, by Sudash Lishit, that only applies to Shabbat and does not apply to Yom Tov. Someone who has sufficient amount of food for two Sudot, he should not take from the Tamchoy. Mazon Arbasre, if he has 14 Sudot, lo yitomina kupa. He shouldn't take from the Kupa. Now, the Tamchoy was basically a big platter, that the Gabayim used to go around and people would donate food to it. It was literally baked food, cooked food, a portion of the food that they had made, they would put onto the platter. Now most needy people took from the Tamchoy, which was, it's ready right away, the food is there, they collected each day and they distributed it each day. It was for people who were passing through the city who didn't have food. It was for the most destitute of the city who had nothing to eat and didn't get from the Kupa. Those people ate from the Tamchoy. Just a little note there that the way the Tamchoy was collected, they went around to people's houses and they collected the food from them. And despite the fact that it did not have a Badatz on it, that they still gave it out to other people. On the other hand, there's the Kupa. The Kupa is the city's normal tzedakah organization, which gave out on a weekly weekly basis, equivalent of Tomchei Shabbat, that gives out a weekly package of food. The weekly package of food included 14 suudot. The other thing to note here is that Rashi also notes with regards with the kupa versus the tamchoy is that sometimes the kupa was used for neitovim, the silbehu milto betamchoy. It's used for people who had come from families of higher stature or that were socioeconomic on the higher rung and they had fallen on hard times or whatever had happened to them and they were embarrassed to take from the Tamkhoi and therefore the Kupa was something where they got a distribution on a weekly basis and they didn't have to come to the Tamkhoi where the more destitute came. So that's Rashi notes that in terms of a certain sociological reason for the difference between the Kupa and the Tamkhoi which is uh, interesting in general. What the Gemara is noting over here is that the Tamkhoi gives you two Sudot and the Kupa gives you 14 Sudot. If you distribute those suudot over the week, you're going to have a problem. 14 suudot only gives you two suudot per day. So then so Gemara says, Mani, who's the author of this position? If you have two meals a day, then you haven't gotten three on Shabbat, you haven't gotten four on Shabbat. It's not like the Rabbana, it's not like Rabbi How are you providing this? If it's Rabbana, you need at least 15 meals. Rabbi Rabbi Chidka, you need at least 16 meals. When it says, Olam Rabbana, it's the Rabbana, Darmelei, Maid, Bay, Demecho, Bafu, Kesh, Abto, Achlebi, Shabto. What they say is, instead of eating Malava, Malka, and Motzei, Shabbat, in the normal meals we're eating in the morning, and then one in the evening. So on Shabbat, instead of eating your meal, Motzei, Shabbat, after Shabbat leaves, eat it on Shabbat itself, and then you have, Shalosh, Seudot, on Shabbat itself. Leira, Rabbana, and Hivalo, Rabbi Chidka. So if that's the case, let's say that that Mishnah is authored by the Rabbonon and not by Rabbi Chidga. Where it says, no, Afilu Teima Rabbi Chidga. It can even be Rabbi Chidga. That which you're going to eat on Erev Shabbat, eat at night. So where it says, wait a minute, if you're going to make him eat whatever he was going to eat on Friday, you're going to make him eat it at night. That means that you're going to eat the two meals that were designated for Friday on Friday night. You're going to force him to fast the entire Friday? Because now he's going to take his two meals for Shabbat. He's going to eat on Shabbat itself. The two meals for Friday, he's going to eat on Friday night. That means the whole day Friday, he has nothing to eat. This mission is authored by Rabbi Akiva. Better to make your Shabbat like a weekday and not need the Briot. Not need to take 
from others. In terms of Rabbi Akiva, so that is generally it's said in the position of people who do have their own money and ability to pay for food. He says that you should be skimpier on your Shabbat meals rather than take from staka in order to enhance your meals of Shabbat. But here too, in this same context, it's understood in the same way, which is better to just have two meals on Shabbat, or according to the Chachamim, maybe you can get up to three meals by shifting around one of the meals to do that, rather than borrow or take more from Kupa, more from staka. Better to treat Shabbat like a regular weekday than increase your needs from the staka. Vatznan, don't we have... A Mishnah, which is Ein pochatim la'ani ha'uver mimakom la'komom. When a man is traveling from place to place, we don't give him less than mikikar bepundion medalid sa'im b'selo. You give him a kikar worth of pundion. Pundion is one forty-eighth of a selo, and we give him medalid sa'im b'selo. And that is when four sa'ah sell for a sella. When four sa'ah for a sell for a sella, and that's the market price of flour, then we give him one pundion's worth. I mean one forty-eighth or if you take it, it's four sa'ah b'sela at 148th of a sela, that means he's getting one twelfth of this amount. That's the amount you give him for a kikar. Now that kikar is sufficient for two meals. Lan, notlino, parnasat lina. If he stays overnight, then we give him hotel fees. We give him a motel room. We give him somewhere to sleep. Vim Shabbat. And if it's on Shabbat, notlino, mazon gimel sudot. Then we give him three meals. Rashi mentions that even though the Gemara in tomorrow's daf is going to say that it's important to have a Malava Malka, but that's only if a person has the ability to do it. Malava Malka is not an obligation like the Shalosh Sudot on Shabbat. So you have a choice between having Sudash Lishit and Malava Malka, we're going to offer Sudash Lishit. And that's why they say to move the meal from Motzei Shabbat onto Shabbat. So let's say this is the Rabbonin and Rabbi Chitka. You're only giving him three meals on Shabbat, not four meals. So Safot mentions over here the reason that the Gemara does not use the Sheet of Rabbi Akiva to answer the question here of Asay Shabbat Chachol, because Rabbi Akiva's statement is made in a context where the person is trying to avoid taking from tzedakah. So in the instance where a person is trying to avoid from taking from tzedakah, then we'll say, In the question that's being posed over here, he has to take from tzedakah anyway. We're going to provide the meals for him. Just a question of how many meals we're going to provide for him. So better then to get him the proper Shabbat meals and not say, Came with one meal with him. He was carrying a meal. He shows up in town. He's a traveler. He's a wayfarer. It's not that he's necessarily destitute or poor, but he's a traveler, and a traveler doesn't have food with him, doesn't have the ability, so he has one meal that he brought with him. Now they give him an additional three meals. Eat the one that you have with you. Then the Gemara says, okay, that's great. He's going to eat the meal that he brought, and the three meals you gave him to get the four on Shabbat. Now he's going to pack out after Shabbat, and he's going to have nothing to eat. He's got nothing to go on his way. We give him a meal to take with him on the way out. Now, the original, what was the Havamina, that they would do this? The Tosafot discusses a little bit of what the Havamina was, which is, came in on Shabbat, we assume that he's not going to leave on Motzei Shabbat. Nobody traveled at night in their day because there was no light. When it came to Motzei Shabbat, we assumed he wasn't going to leave that day. He wouldn't leave till Sunday morning. So if he's not going to leave till Sunday morning, we're not going to worry about giving him on Erev Shabbat the meal he needs to leave on Sunday morning. So we'll give him enough meals to get through Shabbat. And then on Sunday morning, we'll deal with packing him out and giving him a meal to go on the road. So the Gemara says, in the end, that's right, because the Mabina is to do day. That on Friday, Sunday morning, they're going to give him a meal to take with him on the road. It's not counted in the meals that he gets beforehand.
My parnasatlina. What does it mean that you give him tell night stay in the hotel or motel, whatever you give him money for? Umar says, Amrapapa Puriya Besajo. Give him a bed and a pillow. It's a bed and a pillow, that's what he's entitled to in terms of lodging for the night. Alright, so next, Tanrabanan. Karot Shachalben Arvit, Madikan Lechoben Shachrit. Dishes that you used to eat at nighttime on Friday night. You wash them so you can eat with them in the morning. Shacharit, in the morning, medichan lechoben b'tzoharayim. In the morning, you can wash them down so you can eat in the afternoon. B'tzoharayim, dichan lechoben b'mincha. In the afternoon, you can wash them so you can eat at mincha time. Mina mincha ve'elech, shubenu mediach. From mincha onwards, you can't wash them anymore. Aval, kosot v'kaitoniyot v'tzlochiyot mediach v'alech kol ayom gulo. With regards to cups, goblets, ladles, and pitchers, there you can wash them all day long. Drinking, it does not have a fixed time. Meals have a fixed time. Once you finish the meal, you're not going to sit down to another meal. You know that already. So you may not wash. As long as there's time left in the day where you could eat a meal, then we say to you, go ahead and wash the dishes because then they may be prepared for you. In terms of drinking, we say there's no fixed time for drinking and therefore it's permissible to wash these all the way through the end, towards the end of Shabbat. Because as long as you can still drink, then it's possible that you would utilize them on Shabbat, and the washing will be for the purpose of Shabbat, not for Chol. That's a big difference between Achila and Shtia. It's an important halach that comes out of this. Tosafot notes a very important halach that comes out of that with regards to fast days. There is a principle when it comes to a fast day, that when a person on the night before a fast day, we're talking about a daytime fast, not a 24-hour fast, that once a person goes to sleep at night, the assumption is that he's begun the fast when he goes to sleep. Because he's Mesiach Dat from eating, and he knows when he wakes up, he's going to wake up already in the fast. So when he goes to sleep, it's a quasi-acceptance of the fast. And that means that even if a person woke up in the middle of the night and suddenly wanted to eat, he would not be permitted to eat because he's already been mikabel the ta'anit. One has to state or express a t'nai before they go to sleep to say that I will not begin the fast when I go to sleep because if I get up, I want to eat. Or if I'm planning to get up, I'm going to eat. You, know, you could do it in your mind. It's better to express it and state explicitly. So that is a aloha with regards to ta'anit. Now, when does that happen? So we today base it on sleep. Once you go to sleep, we assume you've stopped eating, you've stopped drinking, and that's the koveya. Tosavot speaks about the fact that when you eat a meal, nighttime meal, after you eat the meal, they didn't eat afterwards. That was the end of your eating. So he says that the kabbalat ta'anit really happens after one has eaten the final meal on the nighttime. After that, you don't get up for midnight snacks, you don't get up for little things out of the refrigerator. They had a meal, that was it, they were done. So that means that the Tanit starts. Tosafot says it's only true for Achila, not true for Shtiya. From our Gemara. By Achila, Kovin Suda. Then you are Koveya, Makom to eat. Shtiya has no Kviyut. If there has no Kviyut, you can't say that just because I ate the last meal now that I'm a Kabbal Tanit, they're Gabe Shtiya. So Tosafot bifurcates here, separates the din and says, in terms of eating, when you've had your last meal on the night before the Tanit, you can't eat afterwards. It's an acceptance of the Tanit unless you state explicitly otherwise. But with regards to the Shtiya, you do not need that night. As long as you're still awake, then people drink because there is no Kviyut for drinking. And therefore, you could drink. That might be true today even by going to sleep sometimes. If a person wakes up during the night and usually drinks, and that is a normal part, a normal course of their night activity, they may not need to make a tonight because there's no Kviyut for that Shtiya. The person doesn't normally get up. Correct. So today, it would not be governed by dinner, it would be governed by sleep. We eat after we have our meals, we snack afterwards, we have a little extra dessert. In terms of meals, you're right. But in terms of sleeping, then for us, the kviyut might be different again. You might have to differentiate between Achila and Shtiya. It also differentiates it based on this Gemara here. Anybody who eats three sudot and Shabbat is saved from these three difficulties. Mechevlo shel Mashiach. From the birthing pains of Mashiach, 
Medina Ashel Geinom, from the punishment of Geinom, Omi Mechamed Gogumagol, in the battle, the final battle of Gogumagol. Here it's written Yom, by the Shabbat, Uchtiv Hotam, So that's talking about the great day, the day of the Mavaser that Meshach's going to come, the day that we're going to find out that the redemption is beginning. So over there it uses the term Yom, and also over here to describe the Shlosh Tzudot, it uses the term Yom. So the Gemara sees a parallel between them. That day is a day of anger. That day referring to the day of judgment, the day of Gehinom. Here it also uses the term Yom. Again, over here it writes Yom. And the day that Gog comes, again, to the term of the usage of Bayom. So the term Yom is used in all three of these scenarios. And since the word Yom is used in all three scenarios, as well as the Yom that is mentioned here, we had three Yoms that give us the Shlosh Sudot of Shabbat. The Gemara sees these as being parallel. The three Sudot come and they offset or mitigate the difficulties that arise from th- these three areas. Anybody who does the proper Tanug Shabbat means that he makes things special. He has extra enjoyment on the Shabbat. Then they get a nachalab limitarim. They get an inheritance without any boundaries. Shenemar as tit anag al Hashem virkaticha albamate baritz vachalticha nachalat Yaakov as tit anag. This is sukim in Yeshayahu that deal with shmirat Shabbat. And over there it says as tit anag al Hashem that you're going to have the oneg that is associated with the Shabbat. And then it says what's the vachalticha albamate baritz? I'll place you on the high lands vachalticha nachalat Yaakov avicha pi Hashem diber. So that you will get the Nachlat of Yaakov. What's so important? Why you get the Nachlat of Yaakov as opposed to the Nachlat of Yitzchak and Avraham? So Loki Avraham Shekatuv Bo, not like the Nachlat of Avraham says, Kum Hitalech Varetzlo Arkol Rechubo. Hashem says, go walk the land, and that's what you're going to inherit. Loki Yitzchak Shekatuv Bo, Kilechal Zerachat, Tenetol Aratzot, Ha'el, I'll give you these lands. Again, something that is finite. That you will burst forth. You will expand to the west, the east, the north, and the south. And it's something that doesn't have boundaries. Something that doesn't have limitations. And that's the same reward for those that are me'anegat to Shabbat. Shabbat. And it says in the end of the So that is, you ride up high, meaning on the high plains with Hashem. And therefore, the word of Shabbat is, That is equivalent to the Tidroch, that Benesha will be ascendant at that time. So you'll be a part of those that are ascended, not those that are part of the Shibud Galuyot. I'm reviewed on Rav, call him Aneget HaShabbat, notnim lo mish'alot libo. Anybody who has the proper Oneg Shabbat is given all of his desires, his requests. Shnemar, v'itanag al Hashem, v'iten l'cha mish'alot libcha. If you are me'aneg in Hashem, then you will get all of your requests. Oneg zeh yudea mahu. So what is Oneg Shabbat? Define for me please what Oneg Shabbat is. Shomer v'karatel Shabbat Oneg. When it says there in the Psukim, in Yishayahu that you call the Shabbat Oneg, Aviomer, Zeh Oneg Shabbat. That's called Oneg, Oneg Shabbat. But Memango, what do you do to make it Oneg Shabbat? You the braid of Shmuel, Barshilat, Mishmed Rav, Amar, Betavshil, Shel, Tradim, Betagim, Dolim, Veroshe, Shumim. These are all considered to be what we call Machal Chashuf. It's an important, a significant dish for the meal. 
So, but Tavshil Shel, Tradin is either, it's either a beet dish or a spinach dish. Bedagim Gdolim, and large fish. And Roshe Shumim, the heads of garlic. All of these were considered to be significant dishes. Something that was done specifically for, or particularly for the Kvoda Shabbat, or for the Onega Shabbat here. Bchir Barash Yamar, Afilu Davar Mu'at, Vilichvod Shabbat, Asaw. Even if it's a small item, and you did it specifically for Shabbat, harize oneg. That's even considered to be oneg. Mahi, what is that? A cup of fish hash. Something small, small dish. But if you do it specifically for Shabbat, that is considered to be significant and oneg Shabbat. There's a distinction that's drawn, very famous distinction that's drawn by Rabbi Chaim with regards to the Rambam. What's the difference between Kavod Shabbat and Oneg Shabbat? And the distinction that he draws there is that Kavod Shabbat are things that are done prior to the Shabbat in preparation for the Shabbat. Oneg Shabbat are things on Shabbat that are done to enhance the Shabbat. What you see here from this Gemara, as well as from the Rambam himself, where he said this, that it's not so simple, and that it's not so straightforward. That distinction is not such a fine line between Kavod Shabbat and Oneg Shabbat. And that is for the examples here that the Gemara gives, is that if you are preparing a karsad arsana for Shabbat, that's considered to be oning Shabbat, even though the preparation will clearly be undone prior to Shabbat. Now you could argue here in this Gemara, that this Gemara is only talking about the eating of these dishes on Shabbat. That could be a fair argument. But once you get to the Rambam, the Rambam is clear when he quotes these Gemaras, he does not quote you eating them, but rather preparing them. And he says when you're preparing them, that is Oneg Shabbat. And so probably a better definition or separation between Kavod and Oneg would be that things that are done for pleasure on Shabbat, then the preparation of them is called Oneg Shabbat. If you prepare a dish that will enhance the pleasure on Shabbat, that is a part of your Oneg Shabbat, even if you're doing it on Tuesday. The Rambam first thing quotes that one may not get on a boat on Thursday. One may not lay siege to a city on Thursday because it ruins your Oneg Shabbat. One must prepare ahead of time. They must get on the boat on Wednesday. They must start the siege on Wednesday so their mind will be settled by the time Shabbat comes to be Oneg Shabbat. So the preparation that is done in anticipation of the pleasures of Shabbat, that is called Oneg Shabbat. Something that's Kavod Shabbat is something that's simply done as an enhancement of the Shabbat preparations for the Shabbat. If someone puts out beautiful dishes coming into the Shabbat, that's a Kavod Shabbat. He makes the beds, cleans the house, does preparations, washes themselves, puts on the clothing, special clothing for Shabbat. That's all the Kavod Shabbat. That's all done in anticipation of the Shabbat. But not necessarily to give Oneg Shabbat, not necessarily to have pleasure on Shabbat. Anything that is either pleasure on Shabbat or done to give pleasure on Shabbat, that's called Oneg. And that would give a better definition here also to these items that are mentioned in the Gemara. That here they're preparing foods that are going to be eaten on Shabbat. That preparation of the foods is also part of Oneg Shabbat. Because you're preparing delicacies that you're going to enjoy on the Shabbat. Anybody keep Shabbat properly? Even if they worship the Vodazarah like the door of Enosh, they would forgive him. The reason they pick door Enosh is because they're the first to supposedly worship the Vodazarah. Shinema, because the Pesach says, Ashrei Enosh Yasezot. Praise be with the one who does this. Shomer Shabbat Michalalot who keeps the Shabbat from profaning it. That's what the word that is used there. Shomer Shabbat, mechalolo. Altikram, mechalolo, elem machulo. Don't read it as mechalolo, meaning the one who does not profane it, but rather one who is forgiven. And that is Ashrei Enosh. The play on Enosh being that Enosh was Azuchal, the Krobi Hashem, that they're the first ones to worship Rezerah. The Pesach is saying that even Enosh, 
who was an Obed of Zerah, if he keeps the Shabbat, Machuvo, it will be forgiven for him. Am Rav Yudam Rav, Yomalei, Shamru, Yisrael, Shabbat Nishona, Lo Shaltaben, Uma V'Lashon. Heb Neso just kept their first Shabbat, then no nation would have had power over them. Shinemar, Vahiba Yom Ashri, Yatsum, and Am Lelukot. That as soon as they get the Shabbat by the man, it says that on the seventh day, the people went out to collect the man. And what's the next parsha after Parshat Aman in Parshat B'Shalach, where we just read this past Shabbat, is Vayavu Amalek. Amalek attacks. So you see that the attack of Amalek is associated with the lack of emunah that they shouldn't go out on Shabbat to collect. Now, there are a number of problems with this. First of which is that's just not true. There's that one other parsha that sits between Amalek and the man, and that is the parsha of Masal Meriva. Parsha of the water that sits in between them. That's number one. Number two is, Tosafot already raises this issue back on Dapei Zayin with Bet. The top Tosafot over there mentions this, that the Gemara in Sanhedrin and in other places notes that Bnei Israel got the mitzvah of Shabbat in Marah. In Marah, he calculates at least two or three Shabbatot before they got it in Bishalach. And if that's the case, they had many opportunities to keep Shabbatot. This wasn't the first Shabbat that they had. They had other Shabbatot before this. And so therefore, they did not violate the Shabbat or violate their first Shabbat. Tosafot takes issue with this, and it's not so clear that this was the Shabbat Rishonah. Nevertheless, the Gemara associates the two and says that Shmirat Shabbat by Bnei Israel protects them from their enemies and would have made them so ascendant that nobody would have the ability to attack them. This is the more famous of these Agarotot, probably the most famous of these Agarotot. Malay, two Shabbatot in a row, they would be immediately redeemed. Shnemar, Komar Hashem, Lasarisim, Asher Yishmeruet, Shabtotai. So Shabtotai in plural. Shabbatot Shali. Uchti Batrev, Aviyotim, Har Kochi. And right afterwards it says, I'm going to bring them up to my holy mountain, meaning the redemption will begin. So the Shabtotai, the minimum of a plural is two. So two Shabbatot will bring about Aviyotim, Har Kochi. The question is, why do you need two Shabbatot? What's wrong with? One Shabbat. So I saw many years ago, that's many, many years ago, in the Kitzar Hilchot Shabbat, when he brings down his introduction, he quotes this Agarit and asks, why is it the case that this Agarit is true? It's quoted in the name of Rav Tzadok, as well as the Sfat Emet. He says that the nature of Shabbat is that Shabbat has a duality to it. It's influenced by the days that lead into Shabbat. The six days of creation lead into Shabbat, and they influence the Shabbat. The Shabbat also is mashpia on the week afterwards. Whatever, the Shabbat itself has overflows. The whole idea of the Shabbat overflowing into the succeeding week, the week after the Shabbat. Then you need, in order to get a proper Shabbat, to keep a proper Shabbat, you first have need to have another Shabbat before it. Because in that way, the weekdays that lead into this Shabbat will have had the proper influence from the previous Shabbat. So the previous Shabbat is kept, it influences the subsequent week. That week then is the lead-in to the second Shabbat that you have. So in order to get a proper second Shabbat, you actually need a Shabbat beforehand so that the weekdays that lead into it are the proper weekdays leading in to get you the properly enhanced Shabbat, which is the second Shabbat. Very nice idea, effect that Shabbat has on our lives, both in our preparations and leading into Shabbat, but also the spillover from Shabbat into the subsequent week. Gemara now brings, you should just know that this daf is chock full of sugyot, unbelievable shas sugyot that we dealt with here. We're going to run through. I'll try to do one more sugya with you, but it's it's chock full. Here comes another one of them, which is Rabiosi. Rabiosi is going to have a number of statements here, and these statements have huge, broad implications in terms of halacha and in terms of broader sugyot. Which is Amar Rabiosi, Hey Chelkim Ochlei Shalosh Sudot B'Shabbat. 
I should be amongst those, my reward should be amongst those that eat three Sudot and Shabbat. So now, what's interesting here is that the remainder of what's brought here seem to be Midot Chasidut that Rabbi Yossi did. And that would imply here that the statement of Rabbi Yossi is something that is considered to be a Midat Chasidut. And that's hard to say because we just saw in the Gemara beforehand that Shalosh Sudot is based on a Pasuk in the Torah. There are many that believe that the din of Sudash Shalosh Sudot is a din de oraita. It's a din mina Torah based on the fact that the Gemara brings in as a limud from the Pasuk. So if it's a din doraita, why would he say, hey, chelki, let my portion be amongst those portions? Obviously, he does want to be amongst those portions, but it's still strange because the remainder of the statement seemed to be midot chasidut that Rabbi Yossi did, and not iker halocha that he did. I'll just leave that as a note in terms of Rabbi Yossi's statement over here. Then Rabbi Yossi, hey, chelki, mi gomrei halel b'choyom. I should be amongst those that finish the halel on every day. One says, hinev, amamar, korei halel b'choyom harizem micharef umigadef. Anybody reads the Halal every day, it's as if he is blaspheming, cursing. As Rashi notes here, You dilute the value of Halal. If Halal is for specific and special occasions, if one reads it every single day, then you've diluted its effect. The same thing that comes up in Shul, when they say a Mizmor Tehillim, because the situation is difficult. If one says a Mizmor Tehillim every day, because of a difficult situation, then... There's more dealing takes on with a type of shigra. It's like a routine where it's no longer significant because you've made it permanent. And when you make it permanent, it loses its significance. And the same thing with halal. Halal is special because we only say halal on particular days. That makes it unique. If you say halal every day, it no longer has any uniqueness. And therefore, you're diluting the effect of halal by saying it every day. Now, this is happens to be one of the mikorot for not adding on halal for special days, like... If those that want to say halal on Yom Atzmaut and Yom Yerushalayim, this might be the Mekor according to some, not to say it because you're not allowed to just say halal any day. You're offsetting Gemara, and this is why I'm not going to do the topic here, it's really in Psachim. Gemara in Psachim, I think in Kufyut Zayin, Kufyut Chet in Psachim, mentions the fact that there are certain days where B'nai Israel read the halal, the Nevi'im instituted halal, and they also read it for any day where there was salvation. Anytime there was a salvation, anytime that B'nai Israel was saved, then they should say halal. And there the Gemara seems to leave it much more open that you can say Hallel even on other days of the year as long as, like the Gemara says here, you don't say it every day. It's not a question of you can't add any days of Hallel. It's just a question of you can't make it into a permanent structure of davening. So then how could Rabbi Yosef here suggest that he wanted to be amongst those that finish Hallel every day? I meant it about Psuke de Zimra, and that is important also to note that Psuke de Zimra is, according to the Gemara and Brachot as well, only a Midat Chasidut. The Psuke de Zimra is not a permanent fixture in davening, but rather a Midat Chasidut. The Tamide Rabbeinu Yona mentions that saying Karbanot every morning is a Din de Oraita over Neshama Parim Sfartenu. Based on that, Shechter notes it, he wrote it in a note, in an article they wrote back in the 80s, he thinks, based on this Tamide Rabbeinu Yona, that it would be better to say Karbanot than Psuke de Zimra. One of them is a dindoraita to say karbanot, and same psukre zimra is only a midat chasidut, even though that the minagolam is to skip karbanot and say psukre uh, zimra. I'm Rabbi Yosi. Yechel gave me mitpalim in dum dumei achamash. You mean amongst those that daven with the rays of the sun. Now the rays of the sun are in both directions. That's with sunrise and sunset. So he's the daven vatikin in the morning along with the rising sun, as well as at sunset, right before sunset. Davni Mincha at the time of sunset, the Gemara in Brachot brings that Shmuel cursed anybody who Davni Bidum Dumei because it's very risky. 
Davening right next to Shkia, Mincha time is risky. If anything goes wrong, then you miss Mincha. So he gave preference not to doing that. Nevertheless, we see that Rabbi Yossi wants to be amongst those that Davens with the Dimnei Chama. Amar Abichir Barav, Amar Biochanim, Mitzvah, Lees Balam, Dimnei Chama. There is an enhanced Mitzvah of Davening with the rays of the sun, meaning at sunrise and sunset. And Amar Abizera, my Quran, what is the Pasuk, the same Pasuk that they quote in Gemara Brachot as well, is Yerawucha Im Shemesh, Lifnei Yareach Dor Dorim. That I should hear you, Shemesh, with the sun, and before the moon, Dordorim. Do you see that? At the beginning of the moon, and the beginning of the sun time, that's the time that you're going to daven. One is Shacharit, and one is Mincha. I should be amongst those that die from stomach ailments. Most of the tzaddikim die because of stomach ailments. Rashi says, It's not that it's a peaceful death. It's a death that's full of Yisurim, but those Yisurim will cleanse out all their Avonot. Tosafot does not like that, but he says, the real mayor, that the reason that he wants to die from the stomach is, that their digestive system should be cleaned out, totally flushed out, so that they should be like Malachi Asherit when they die. That is interesting because of the Minha Geritz Yisrael with regards to Tarot. In Chutzlar, they don't necessarily do this, but in Eretz Yisrael, they do do this. Which is in the Tarot, that not only do they retire the body on the outside, but they only flush the digestive system out, that they clean out by forcing water through the body, they clean out the entire digestive system, which is like this Midrash that is quoted by the Tosafot, that says that in order to be like Malachi Asherit, that the, he wanted to die from Cholim Me'ayim, so that his digestive system will be totally clean. I should be amongst those that start Shabbat in Tiberia. Tiberia is found in the valley. Tiberia is found down adjacent to Yam Kineret. And I should be amongst those that let Shabbat go out in Sipori. Those that let Shabbat go out in Sipori, which is up in the mountains, high up on the top of a mountain. This is interesting because simple way to read this is that he wanted to bring in Shabbat early and have Shabbat go out late. So how do you bring in Shabbat early? You start Shabbat in the valley because the sun disappears behind the mountains earlier when you're in the valley, and therefore your Shabbat would start earlier. You go on top of the mountain, it takes longer for the sun to set when you're up on the mountain, because you're higher up, you can have a better angle at the sun, it'll take longer for the sun to set for you when you're higher on the mountain. Based on that, you would suggest that this Gemara says that when you want to determine when Neitzachama is, and you want to determine when Shkia is, it's based on what you can see. From the location that you're at, where you can see, that is the determination of what Shkia is, based on your actual experience in that location. And that would be what we call Nitzah Niram, Shkia, based on the Niram. Turns out that most of the Boskim don't agree with that. Most of the Boskim believe that we set the Shkia and the sunrise based on the nearest location where you would be on the top of a mountain, the highest point in this area. You set it based on that, and not based on where you can see. What do they do with this Gemara? Well, they say, no problem, we can deal with this Gemara. First of all, it says here, Rabbi Yossi is giving all these items that are Midat Chasidut. It's a Midat Chasidut. He did this as a Midat Chasidut. It wasn't real. It was a fiction. And that's somewhat of what Rashi says over here. Rashi says, It's deep, it's in the valley. And it gets dark when it's daytime. And they think it got dark. Rashi's not saying that it's literally dark or that it's really nightfall. She says that they think it's nightfall. So that it's an a, illusion that happens for those people that live in Tveria that the night starts earlier. But not that that's a halachic night. That's just they practice it that way because that's what they see. And so again, that would seem to indicate that it was simply a, well, a mistake in judgment or a midat chasidut that they did this. 
And so that would support that position. The other way to learn it is, Rabbi Kiva Eger over here brings the Rabbeinu Yonah in Brachot, explains this differently. And the Rabbeinu Yonah in Brachot says, They used to prepare their clothing on Erev Shabbat. And they used to put the incense into the clothing on Erev Shabbat, the odorized clothing. And in Tzipor, they used to do that on Motzei Shabbat because of the Neshami Yeteira that left. So they used to want to put nice aromas, the odor in their clothing, so that would take away the loss of the Neshami Yeteira. And therefore, he says, from both, I want to be in Tiberi on Erev Shabbat, and I want to be in Tzipor on Motzei Shabbat. Meaning, I want to do the Kavod Shabbat on Erev Shabbat like those people of Tiberia. And I want to do the Malava Malka. I want to accompany out the Shabbat like they do it in Sipori. And that's what his statement was about. Not about the sunset in both places being taking in Shabbat early and letting it go out late. Even though Rashi does seem to interpret that. And that's a good Midat Chasidut. A reminder that there is no need to rush out the Shabbat. The Shabbat does not have to end exactly at the moment that it goes out. That there is a value in extending the Shabbat beyond that exact minute when Shabbat is over. Alright, then Ramar Rabbi Yossi. Yay! Chalki, mi moshivei beta midrash. Velo mi ma'amidei beta midrash. The way Rashi reads it is, Yichel chalki mi moshivei beta midrash. I should be amongst the one that calls the students into the Beit Midrash to learn. I should be the one who ensures that students are in attendance for the learning, not one who gives the ring and says it's time to eat. So the one person's job was to bring everybody to the Beit Midrash to learn. His another job is to tell people it's time to eat. So let me be the one who is honored with the position of bringing people to the Beit Midrash rather than the one who is honored with the position of telling them when it's time to eat. You could argue, although me moshivei, would be a little hard to interpret this way. Let me be amongst those that sit in the Beit Midrash and not amongst those that support the Beit Midrash. That could be another possible way to read it, although the word Moshive seems to be that one who seats others rather than they themselves sitting. I should be amongst those that collect for tzedakah, but not distribute tzedakah. Rashi notes over here because that people are, have emotional responses to giving out tzedakah and they don't do it in a detached manner. They don't distribute the tzedakah properly because of the emotions that get involved. They are now taking money, distributing it. They are obligated by the tzibur to act on their behalf as proxies for the tzibur. And they have to do it in a manner that's proper, appropriate for those that need to receive it. That's a much harder job. That's much more difficult. So he says, I'd rather be one that collects the tzedakah, goes around and collects the tzedakah, than the one who has to distribute the tzedakah. Same is true for individuals that have the ability to give tzedakah, that Hashem gives them the money to distribute, that a person has to make the effort also to be a mechalkeit tzedakah, to ensure that the tzedakah is distributed. Hashem gives them a pitadon of that extra money in order to distribute it to tzedakah, then you become one of the mechalkeit tzedakah, those that distribute tzedakah, and one has to ensure that the tzedakah is given out in a proper manner. I should be amongst those that people suspect that there's something wrong with them, and there is nothing. But Papa said that's exactly what happened to me. They were hosted that I did something wrong, and it wasn't there. So I'm Rabbi Yossi, Chamesh, Bi'ilot, Ba'alti. Rabbi Yossi says five times that I had intercourse. Natati, Chamesha, Erezim, Israel, And I gave birth to five cedar trees amongst Israel. Omani, Nun, who are they? Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Elazar, Eliezer, Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Chalafta, Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Avtilus, Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Menachem, Rabbi Yossi. Haiga Vardimas. It's an interesting name. All the other names seem to be pretty straightforward names. And also you have this name Vardimas. 
Sounds like a Greek name. So Gemara says, Hainu Vardimas, Hainu Menachem. Menachem and Vardimas are the same name. His is Hebrew name and his Greek name. His face was like a rose. So not necessarily that it was his Jewish name and his secular name, but it was his nickname that he was called Vardimas. The Memra, the Rabbi Yossi Mitzvah Don Hit him, hit it. Rabbi Yossi only was his wife five times. He didn't keep the mitzvah of Ona. He's obligated to provide his wife with Biyah. And he didn't do that. I had Biyah five times where I repeated it. And we saw this Gemara in Nida. The Gemara believes that a person is Boel Bishoneh, that is Yoleid Zcharim, Banim Zcharim. Here he says, Boleid Bishaniti, those five times, and I gave birth to these five cedars, these five boys, that were Talmidei Chachamim. Tosafot mentions, Ubushalmi, that in Ubushalmi, that, Shaniti Biyavamot Hayu. He had five Biyot of Yamamot, Volorat Salikayim Behem Mitzvatona. He didn't want to have mitzvah donah, el rakadeh lekayim mitzvah yibum. He only went to the mitzvah yibum, which was biya rishona. So the five biyot here were the five yibamot. Now that's not such a simple thing. Number one is because that means that five of his brothers passed away without having children. In order to have to have five yibamot, that's one thing. And number two is usually when you have a child born to the yibama, it's nikral shemachiv. It's called by the name of the brother, not by the, the person who gave birth to them's name. So that would also be difficult over here. Again, the Bible gives a different answer as we saw here of Baliti Vishaniti. Never called my wife my wife. And my ox my ox. Ella. Call my wife my house. And I called my shore my field. In that he realized the significance of the individual. The Isha is the Akaratabait. So she's not just the wife. She is the foundation of the house. So you don't just call her Ishti, you call her Beiti. She is the house. She is what makes the house. She is what makes the household. Same thing with the ox. The field without the ox. The ox is what plows the field. The ox is what helps you work the field. The ox is integral to the success of the field. And therefore, he assigned the rewards of the field to the ox itself. It's an important Musa Haskell in terms of acknowledging how people contribute, making people understand what they do has impact. And not just that they are wife this, that, just a simple thing, but much that they have much broader implications. I never looked at my Brit Milah. Is that really true? Why were you called Rabbeinu Akadosh? Why were you called the Holy One? I never looked at my Milah. Well, if that's the case, Rabbi Yossi should also have been called Rabbi Yossi Akadosh. So Rabbi says, no, Rabbi had something else. Not just the fact that he didn't look at his Milah, but his hand never went below his loins, below his belt. So not only did he not ever look at his milah, his hand never went below his belt level. And Rabbi Yossi only had one of those two, which is that he never looked at his milah. My house never saw the seams of my beged. Now that would mean that he never turned his beged inside out when he took it off. Rashi explains, and this is somewhat along the lines of the brachot that are established from Bichar HaShach are established in this way, which is when a person got up in the morning, they did not just come out of their bed, that they used to basically sleep naked in their bed. That was their pajamas, that was their night clothing. And when they got up in the morning, they used to pull their chaluk over them, their tunic over them, and as, as they exited the blankets, the sheets from the bed, their clothing would fall onto them, and therefore they would never be naked or exposed. And the same would be true the other way around. When they were getting into bed, they would enter into bed first, and then pulled the clothing over their head as they went under the sheets. 
And based on that, they would always be dressed, they would never be naked. So I think that's the point Rashi points out, that he's making over here, not that he never had his clothing inside out, inside of his house. I never violated instructions or the words of my friends. I know that I'm not a queen. If my friends said to me, go up to the Dukhan, be a queen, I would go. I would never violate that. Those what right away says, Lo yadari What isur is there? Bizar holel duchen. Non kohen that goes up to the duchen. What is he doing wrong? Imlo mishum bracha levatala shel kohenim. Only because of the bracha levatala that the kohenim are supposed to give the bracha to Israel. I think he's referring to here the bracha the verechet amoisel biavat bracha the kohenim make beforehand. Maybe that's the only problem over here is bracha de valatala. He's not sure what statement Rabbi Yossi is making that if his friends told him to go up to be a Kohen, that he would be a Kohen. He's not really violating any Yisur. It's not like he's doing something exceptional. Could have done that even if his friends didn't tell him that. There's no Yisur in doing that. I think the point that he's making is that even though he's not a Kohen, if they told him he is a Kohen, he would just act like a Kohen. I think that's the point that Rabbi Yossi is making over here. Rabbi Yossi says, I never said anything and retracted it. So Rashi says, If someone comes and says, you said this about me, I said, yes, I did say it about you. I never lied and said I didn't say it. If I said it, I meant it. And then if the person came and asked me, I would tell him that I did say this. And Rashi says, because he believes, anything that he would say in front of the person themselves is not Lashon Ara. Since you'd be willing to say it directly face to face with the person, when you say it to someone else, it's not classified as Lashon Ara, according to this. That is a very, very broad definition and big dispensation that not necessarily La Aloha. But Rashi over here says that he was Lashitato, that if he's willing to say something in front of the person themselves, he would say it not in front of them. That's why if they showed up and asked him if he said it, he would say, yeah, I did say it. Because he was not embarrassed, he was not going to retract what he said. Give it to me that I kept for on Shabbat. Now again, this is interesting because the Tate Ali's in general is I should get reward. It's usually for Amidat Chasidut. Here you have to interpret it to mean that this was my mitzvah. I always did this mitzvah and I did it properly. I always kept Shalosh Su'udot on Shabbat. And that's my mitzvah and I want the reward for doing that mitzvah properly. I should be rewarded for keeping Iyun Tefillah. This is a problem Tosafot raises it over here. We saw this again in Brachot as well. The Gemara in different places seems to indicate that sometimes Iyun Tefillah is negative and sometimes Iyun Tefillah is positive. One of those things is Iyun Tefillah. So over there it's written in the positive. Yet, where we have in Gemara and Brachot, someone who's Mayin in Tefillah has Iyun Tefillah ends up with a heartache afterwards. And the Gemara in Babalatra says, There are three sins that a person is not saved from each day. That's Lashon Ara, Yura Ara, So there you have two statements in the Gemara of negative about Yun Tefillah and two positive statements about Yun Tefillah. Tosafot reconciles them and says there's a difference. One is talking about Kavanat Alev. Having Kavanat and Tefillah, that Yun Tefillah is positive. That's what the Gemara is talking about over here. Yun Tefillah is Kavanat. That's what the Gemara is talking about in Elu Dvarim, Shadam Aluchel, Perodem, Alamazev, Bekirin Kaim, Alamaba, which is Iyun Tefillah. And the negative ones, which are Iyun Tefillah, brings to heartache, is talking about a case where Yoshev Umitzapeh. Iyun Tefillah there is that he's not Iyun in the Tefillah, he's Miayin when the Tefillah will come true. He dives for something of Hashem, and then he anticipates, sits and anticipates, when's God going to answer my Tefillah? So that's a negative Iyun Tefillah. And the Gemara in Baba Bacha that says these are sins that people aren't saved from each day is really Iyun Tefillah there is not in the positive form but in the negative form. That's, you're supposed to have Kavana, but you're not. People dabbling without Kavana. 
So it's a negative formulation of the positive, which is Yun Tevila, which is Kavanah Ta'alev. So that's what over here says. That's proper Yun Tevila, which is Kavanah Ta'alev. Improper Yun Tevila is when you wait and anticipate when will God answer your Tevilot. Give it to me, I shall be rewarded for the fact that I never walked for a moat with my head uncovered. I should be rewarded that I kept tefillin. That I kept the mitzvah tzitzit. Now it's clear here that mitzvah tefillin and tzitzit, that's not that they did the mitzvah, but rather they never walked dalad amot without tzitzit and tefillin on. And that's an example by the story here. Amar le Rav Yosef, the Rav Yosef Berei, the Rabba Avuch. But my Zayir Tzvei, what is your father very careful about? They're asking Rabbi Yosef, the son of Rabbah, what is your father very careful about? Amalei B'Tzitzit. Says he's very careful about Tzitzit. Yom Achadav HaKasolik B'Dargo. He was climbing up a ladder, he's climbing up the stairs. If Yilei Chuta, what did the Tzitzit tour? And therefore he wasn't wearing Tzitzit. He stayed there, he wouldn't move, he wouldn't take a step until they came and he placed those Tzitzit and put in a new Tzitzit. That's how Makhbit he was on the midst of Tzitzit and he never walked without it. I should be rewarded whenever I saw a young whippersnapper that he finished the Masechto I used to make a party for him I used to make a Suda a Siyum now what we call a Siyum Masechto I used to make for them the one thing I just wanted to note here there are a lot of unbelievable Sugyot that are mentioned here one of them is this idea of not going for a moat without a head covering on. And that deals with what we know as the kippah, wearing something, a head covering on your head. What's interesting is that the Gemara has a number of memot. One of them is here. Another one is found in the Gemara in Kedushin, which is also Ravuna Bray, the Rabbi Yeshua. There the Gemara says, anybody walks around with a uncovered head is Gase Aruach, someone who's haughty if they don't have their head covered. And there Ravuna Bray, Rabbi Yeshua makes the same claim over there, which is that I never went out a moat without my head covered. Over there, and over here, it sounds like that is a midat chasidut. It's over here, he's saying that's not what the average person did. It's not something that everybody had to do, but it's a midat chasidut. In addition to that, we have a Gemara at the end of the Gemara here in Shabbat, on the last tapim of Gemara Shabbat, that discusses a story about Rabbi Nachman bar Yitzchak. Rabbi Nachman Yitzchak, his mother found out from the astrologers that he was born under the mazal of Dam, and because of that, they said he's going to be a thief. So in order to prevent him from being a thief, she used to get his head covered all the time, because she thought it brought to Yirat Hashem. And that Yirat Hashem would prevent him from being a Ganav. One time he was going and the yarmulke fell off. And as soon as his yarmulke fell off, he climbed up a tree and began to eat the fruit from someone else's tree. Which proved the point. That is another idea. Again, that doesn't seem to be Midin, but rather me Midat Chatzidut. She did as a preventative measure that to have Yirat Hashem, that he should have his head covered. That is the source for the term yarmulke. It is Yare Malka, fear of heaven. Also, we have another Gemara in Kiddushin, which is that Rav Chista was praising Rav Huna, the Rav Hamnuna, that he was a great man. And Rav Hamnuna shows up and he doesn't have his head covered. And because of that, Rav Huna says, I won't look at him. I won't even look at him because he doesn't have his head covered. Over there, it says that he wasn't married as well. But it's clear there that he felt that covering one's head was an important aspect of Yirat Hashem. There's one more Gemara in Kedushin as well, where somebody walked by and didn't have his head covered. Rabbi Yerimah said about this person, How Mechutzav is this person that he doesn't walk in front of the Talmud Chachamim with his head covered. As well as, there's a Gemara in Erechim. I mentioned Big Day Kuhuna are all for Kapara. The Mitznefet is warned for Kapara for Gasei HaRuach. 
which it indicated again that the covering of one's head is to prevent gasuta ruach haughtiness and to have yirat telukim. But from all of these combined, you would only come out that covering one's head is a minhag and not something that's mi'ikar halacha. The one person who really makes it into ikar halacha is the Taz. The Taz says about the bracha of Oter Yisrael Betif Ara. He says that reference to a head covering. That's mi'ikar adin, that a person must wear a head covering, and that's the bracha of Oter Yisrael is built around Jews cover their heads. It's a proper din and not just a minhag cover one's head. So that taz really upends or changes everything is unique in that sense that he says that it's a din or alacha. According to most, it's simply a minhag. Now, but it's a minhag that has been widespread and developed to the point where minhag that minhag becomes din and everybody wears a yamuka and it would be a breach of Torati Mecha, not to wear a yarmulke, not to wear a head covering. The only reason it makes a difference if it's an ikar din versus a minhag is when we have to come up with dispensations where a person can't wear a yarmulke. First Chuva and Igrit Moshe, or Moshe's Chuva and Igrit Moshe discusses exactly this. What happens if a person needs to go to work and they will not be able to get the job or they not be able to succeed without putting on their yarmulke? Moshe talks about the dispensation or possible dispensation for not wearing a yarmulke in order to get a job or to work. He does suggest over there, better to get a job where he can wear his yarmulke. But if not, he does say that there is such a dispensation. So that's something that is important to know in these types of situations that there are dispensations. But many will tell you that sometimes it's better not to get into the situations where you have to utilize that dispensation because sometimes it's better to stick out like a Jew and be a Jew because then you act the part. Then you know that you are different and you have the Yerat Alukim, you have the Yamaka on your head which differentiates your behavior. Okay, we'll stop over here.